of the readings taken from Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, it's a great joy to be amongst you. Why don't I pray as we begin? Lord God and the Heavenly Father, thank you very much for your word. Please speak through your word now and by your spirit, I pray. Amen. Well, the question is uh, a simple one, isn't it? Verse 25, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, but at the same time, it's a pretty awful question as well. And Jesus' answer, it's, it's brilliant in so many ways. He loves and he tests this man. He challenges the man. But I think when you look at this parable, it, it, it can be frustrating reading because a parable like the Good Samaritan, we know it very, very well, I guess, many of us here. Or we think we do. Because the story is very simple, isn't it? It runs through it with me. We understand the illustration, don't we? We know the answer to Jesus' second question in verse 36. Uh, we want to say the Samaritan, that he's the good neighbour. We know this. It's easy, isn't it? And we get to verse 37 and we say, let's go and do likewise. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? And so let's all go and do that now. We can stop right now and off we went. Uh, if the whole world were to read this story and, and attempt to be the good neighbour that we see here to the world around them, well, I guess the work of this place would be a lot, lot easier. We might get a really few departments. That may be a good thing in some of your minds. I'm not sure. Uh, but, but often the context of this parable is ignored. And in so doing, we kind of read it a bit upside down, don't we? The context, you see, is not a man who is coming and saying, I'd like to be a good Samaritan. The context is a man coming to try and trip up Jesus, uh, to trap Jesus. He's, a, as we read, a Jewish expert in the law, the law of scripture there. These people weren't happy 
at all with Jesus and his followers. They were going around, they were teaching about the kingdom of God, but not in a way that they appreciated at all. And so we must get the context right. The, the, the story begins with this, this teacher looking to unpick Jesus' understanding of the Old Testament law. And so he asks, as you see on your sheets and your outline there, he asks this rather big question, doesn't he? It's a good question because it isn't a kind of a secularly dominated question as many are today. You know, people are so consumed with the now and they don't think about what will come. It's a good question in that way, but it's a terrible question as well. Uh, He wants eternal life, did you notice, but he wants it on his terms. What must I do, he says, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knows, of course he does, he he knows he's being tested. Uh, And so he comes back at the expert in the law with a bit of a test of his own, doesn't he? Look how he replies, what is written in the law, Jesus says. It's essentially provoking this expert in the law to find the answer himself. He knows he knows the answer, but in and through unpicking that answer, what Jesus is doing is he's going to expose the false hope that this man has in and of himself to gain eternal life. Jesus goes further, doesn't he? Look at it. He says, how do you read it? How do you read it? Now, he's not questioning whether this man is reading it with a Kindle or with a kind of papyrus scroll. It's not the kind of the basics there. What he's saying is, he's saying, look, there's only two possible sensible answers here. Either you read the entirety of the law, begin at Genesis and end at Deuteronomy, which would take you about five or six hours. Or you go for the two summary statements, once in Deuteronomy and once in Leviticus 19. And that's what he does. Look at verse 27. He answered, it goes for a summary statement of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. So you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, to inherit eternal life, you have to keep the law. What law? Well, the entirety of the law summarised in these two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And secondly, love your neighbour as yourself. And the expert has been wonderfully exposed by Jesus here, isn't he? But the Lord does that. As Paul says to the church in Rome, he says there that the law condemns. But even these two summary statements of the law expose this man as they do us as well, don't they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I think if we're honest, we don't. Not with all of our hearts. Famously, the Archbishop William Temple, many years ago, uh, was speaking on this. And he he said, religion is what you do with your solitude. That is, when you're quiet, when you're just sat down and just daydreaming, what do you think about? What do you dream about? What do you long for? If not God, then that's part of your religion. What dominates your heart and your mind? You see, none of us love God with the entirety of ourselves, do we? And likewise, love your neighbour. Now, the scope of this requirement in God's law would be like, I'm pushing the boat out here, it would be like a Remainer being as pleased for a Brexiteer, uh, being honestly and truthfully as pleased for that person that won as they would have been if they had won. The summary of this law, of the law here, exposes all of us, doesn't it? The agnostics and the atheists, of course, they'll be exposed because they might love others and they might love themselves, but they don't care for the first one. Love the Lord your God. And likewise, if you're you're more kind of religious folk around the world, well, it will expose them because they they may love God, their God, 
and have relationship with their God and so on, but they have no impact in their lives and the lives of those around them. They can't love neighbour. But the point is this, can any of us, to the degree that is mentioned here in the law, we are all inadequate to gain eternal life in and of ourselves, which exposes our second point there to the impossible standard. And Jesus points this out. Look at it in verse 28. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. He says, yeah, you've got the idea. Do this and you'll live. Jesus is saying, do this, keep the law. But the perfect tense he uses there, he's saying, keep on keeping the law and don't stop. Ever. Do this perfectly and you will inherit eternal life. But if you do not, you will not. Uh, what do we all conclude? Or well, we all conclude, but as a teacher of the law, this, we can't do this. The standard is impossibly high within the law. We cannot do this and live for eternity. So this expert of the law does wonderfully what we all do in our minds and our hearts probably every day. I, I certainly do it. You may do as well. Look what he does. Verse 29, he wanted to justify himself. That is, he wanted to be able to say to Jesus, hey, have you seen my life? Have you seen how wonderfully kind I was to this person? Have you seen the kind of social action that I've done within my job? Uh, surely I'm not as bad in comparison to that person. Uh, surely that's enough, therefore, to gain eternal life, Jesus. He wanted to justify himself. Uh, and so you see at the end of verse 29, Jesus asked him, And who is my neighbour? And you see what he's doing here. Uh, sorry, he asked Jesus, didn't he? And who is my neighbour? And uh, what he's doing there is brilliant. He's, he's trying to justify his limited love of God, but also his limited love of neighbour. Essentially, he's asking Jesus, how far do I have to draw the line with this love stuff? How far do I have to go? To whom do I have to reach? And so Jesus blows his world apart as he paints this wonderful picture in this very well-known parable of love. Uh, a love that humbles us all, because it extends to all. The third point, the perfect example. We see it through probably the best-known parable of all. I'm going to run through the parable very quickly because we know it. It's easy, isn't it? Look at it. There's a, there's a nondescript man beaten on Jericho Road. It's a very plausible thing. It's a notorious road. Would have happened. Uh, he's taken by robbers. And we see by verse 30, he's beaten, stripped, and left half dead. That's the, that's the story. Uh, and now, verse 31, a, a, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And, and culturally, as the listeners, they would have got there's a bit of sense of relief here. It's a priest. Everything's okay. It would be like a government aid worker kind of walking down. Yes, it's going to be fine now. But verse 31, at the end, when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. Now the experience of the first listeners of this story would have been extraordinary. There would have been a sense of relief to begin with. There's a priest and a Levite, yes. But then, real shock, they both go on the other side. But please don't be too hard on them, the priest and the Levite. And the Jericho Road was a dangerous place. Lots of caves and rocks for robbers to hide in. And you know, to stop actually for someone on the road would have meant risking your life yourself. Because robbers may still be around. Both the Levites and the priest need to keep going. It's a reasonable thing to do. And it's a rational thing to do. 
They are thinking deadlines for work. They are thinking, got to get back to my responsibilities with my family. Everything they do is reasonable and rational. But the Samaritan, verse 33, what do we see? A Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Think about what he did. He risked his life. He destroyed his plans by stopping and getting his hands dirty with this other man on the road. How many of us would have just chucked a bit of cash and run? I mean, looking for a quick solution, yeah. I mean, it seems a normal thing to do, doesn't it? Maybe just a bit of a soundbite for people to see. The Samaritan was sacrificial with his time, with himself, and with his money. And then there's this list, uh, six things, verse 34 and verse 35. He's simply doing what? He's doing as the commandment requires. He is loving his neighbor, isn't he? But we don't get the shock of this verse. At all. I'm not sure it can even find a contemporary example. Uh, let me work at that if I can. It, it might be, and I don't mean this to be pr- provocative, it might be me saying something like, the good ISIS leader walked down the Jericho Road and stopped. Uh, it's hard, isn't it? Because Samaritans, you see, were so hated. When Jesus in John 8, for example, was critiqued by the Jews, they described him in two ways. One, he was demon-possessed. And then, synonymous with that, they said, he's a Samaritan. They were the lowest, they were considered the lowest of the lows. Jews would very regularly pray against Samaritans being in the kingdom of God, because they thought it might pollute it. And Jesus asked the expert in the law, who hated Samaritans, look at it, verse 36. Which of these uh, three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And in a sense, do you see what he's asking? He's saying, expert in the law... You, which of these three did what the law requires? The priest who you revere? Oh, the, you know, the Levite who is so honoured in society? Oh, the expert in the law replied, verse 37, the one who had mercy on him. He can't even say the name, can he? He can't say the Samaritan. Just the one who had mercy on him. Did you notice that Jesus never answered the question of verse 29, and who is my neighbour? Never answered it, did he? <coughs> Instead, Jesus asked the question, question, which one fulfilled the law? Which one was the neighbour, the good neighbour? And the only answer is the one who had mercy on him. Oh, the Samaritan does everything, doesn't it? He's the perfect example of mercy. And this is where we sometimes get this parable just so wrong. Because that can never be you. And that can never be me. When you read any story, the beauty of stories, isn't it, is you place yourself, you kind of immerse yourself in the story, and you place yourself somewhere in it, either the eel, either the tigger, tigger, sorry. You know, that's a lovely thing about stories, isn't it? And when you read... This parable, where are you? Who are you? The Samaritan? Well, Jesus in some ways certainly wants you to be something like the Samaritan. Hence the instruction right at the end in verse 37, go do likewise. 
But who should you most keenly associate yourself with as you read this parable? I'm going to dare to say, it is true of me and I think it's true of all of us, I think the person we should most keenly associate ourselves with is actually the man laying half dead in the road. I wonder, do you think too highly of yourself? If you want to see how you stack up before God spiritually, if you want to see how in not loving God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind, how not not loving your neighbour as yourself makes you before God, you want to see? Look at the man in the road. This parable, you see, was never told primarily so that people would do some good stuff as a result. It was told so that people would allow their hearts to be changed, that they would see that they have nothing before God, that they are utterly dependent on God's mercy and kindness and his love and his sacrifice. And then, and only then, in seeing their need and knowing God's love and his intervention in their lives, then they would, with changed hearts, respond and go and do likewise. If you see, if you read this parable backwards, as so many people sometimes do, then you just want to do some good stuff in this world so that you might please God. You'll do it in the same way the expert in the law wanted to. Remember that? He just wanted to justify himself before God. And the expert in the law, how can we summarise that? He wanted to limit who was his neighbour. He's trying to draw a line. He's saying, that's enough. What does Jesus respond? He said, you need to have a life and a heart of being a good neighbour. You need to be transformed. The expert in the law wanted to do all of these good things, loving things that would gain him eternal life in his terms. And Jesus says, there's a love that you can't do, a love that you just need to receive. Yes, this parable is about going and doing likewise. But first and foremost, it is a parable about our moral bankruptcy before God. We've all fallen short of the the standard which God requires for entry into his eternal kingdom. And we need to trust the only good Samaritan. And his name is Jesus. Of course, the picture is that Jesus crossed a bigger road, didn't he? coming from heaven to earth, pouring out everything, sacrificing his life in our place, taking the punishment that you and I deserve for not keeping the law. Jesus offers this wonderful new life with him. Many of you know that here today. Trust him and go and be a good Samaritan of the good Samaritan. Last point, very quickly, the challenging command. I have a minute. We must get this the right way around. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Do likewise. With the heart that has first been transformed by Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross, please get it the right way around. I hope you've been stirred. Christians ought to be to show mercy in practical, loving ways. It will mean numerous sacrifices as you extend the love of neighbourliness. But it will also mean wonderful opportunities for the gospel too. Let me finish with this. Uh, In 1843, Robert Murray McShane, a great Scottish preacher, once ended a sermon on this passage like this. I'm going to use his words because I'm not sure I dare say them myself. And I can just blame him. 
speaking to Christians, he said this, you seem to be Christians, yet you do not care for his poor. What change will pass upon you as you enter the gates of heaven? You will be saved, but that will be all. There will be no abundant entrance for you. He who soweth sparingly reaps sparingly, and I fear they may be many hearing me that now know they are not Christians, because they do not love to give, to give largely and liberally, not grudging at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather depart with its lifeblood than its money. So friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none away. For I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. Don't try and politicise McShane's words. He just had a new heart. Utterly transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can be a neighbour. Sorry, before you can be a neighbour, you need a neighbour. Before you can be a good Samaritan, you've got to trust Jesus as the good Samaritan. And then, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. It is challenging. Please help us, through your word and by your spirit, to be moulded into more of the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might honour him here in our workplaces, but also throughout our lives, I pray. Amen.